you have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And as you're opening up there, uh, I want to just say, oh, if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, it's okay. Open it up to page 1328 in the Pew Bible. I forgot to mention that. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. 1328 in the Pew Bible. So, so grab that there and open up because we're going to be digging into this passage this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1, uh, 1 through 6. I, I also want to note that we're getting very close to meeting our Myers-Mallory missions offering. That goes toward uh, several things going on in the state of Alabama in terms of missions. And one of the main things, big things that that does, it helps fund our state uh, WMU efforts, so Women's Missionary Union efforts, and then also it goes to our disa- state disaster relief. And uh, our state um, board of missions does a great job with the disaster relief, and so uh, that's a worthy cost. We're really close to our goal. Hopefully, we'll meet that. Uh, maybe, Lord willing, even today. So we'll uh, look look to that. If you have your Bibles open, there, Second Corinthians chapter four, verses one through six. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have to, to gather together and to hear your word. And Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The other night, I needed something from my study here at church, and so what that meant was I needed to come up here and get it. It was something I had to have that night, and so I came up here. It was nighttime. It's dark outside, and um, our oldest child, Watsy, decided she wanted to come with me to the church, and uh, you know, that's kind of a special treat. Somebody gets to tag along on an errand. You know, we all dread errands but uh, kids love to go on errands or, or whatever else so she comes with me and I think about as soon as we walked in the church got the alarm unset and everything else and uh, I think about as soon as we walked in she immediately regretted it because it was dark in the church now our kids are little church mice uh, y'all see them they, they don't walk into church they run into church they love coming to church. Y'all see them around here. Y'all know them. Y'all talk to them. 
In fact, whenever there's a non-church event here at First Baptist that we host at First Baptist, sometimes we get on the verge of losing one. Because when it's a First Baptist event, we don't have to worry about them running off. Somebody, one of y'all is going to grab them and say, what are you doing walking toward the street? But when people don't know them, they're not going to stop some random kid, you know. So sometimes we just forget. Being in the Family Life Center, next thing you know, Jim's on Broad Street. And so, and so we, <laughs> we have to be careful. They love it here, though. You know, they're just so at home here. They love it. So it's disorienting for her to walk in the church in the dark. There are no lights on. There's nobody here. Um, we're, we're situated here with a lot of streets running by, and so as you're walking through, you know, there are different shadows and lights coming through and different things like that. The, the, the building transformed for her. It, it went from a place of joy and fun and learning, a place she loves to come to, to a place of anxiety in her heart. And why? Simply because of the absence of light. In fact, as we're walking down the halls, what would I do? I would just see the switches and turn on the lights, not just for her, but for me as well. And, and we were turning on the lights as we walked down the halls, and, and that helped her a little bit. But buddy, she didn't want to get too far from Dad as we walked through here. And so just the absence of light, just the absence of light sort of transforms our experience of a place. And look, to be fair, I'd probably be lying if I didn't say that that I don't walk just a little bit faster on my way out of the church when it's nighttime and I've had to come and get something nobody's with me. You see, this is true in the world as well. It's not just true in a building. It's not just true in a place. You see, we live in a world that God has made for our joy and for His glory. In fact, those two things are maximized together, I would argue. And this world has been transformed into a place of darkness and difficulty by sin. It's been transformed into a place of darkness and into a difficult place through sin. In fact, just scanning the news, even just this morning, I was, I was overwhelmed by the amount of darkness just in the headlines. Just, just, just in the headlines. Turmoil and war, vandalism. All kinds of news about drug cartels and, and all kinds of things going on in the world. It, it, it's troubling. It's a, it's a dark world we live in. It's dark times. This morning, I, I want to show you three points about God's light shining in a dark place. Th three points that I hope and I pray will help you stay courageous and not lose heart as you walk in a dark world. The three points that I hope will help you walk with confidence and, and walk with courage and stay heartened in dark times and in a dark world. Here, here's the first. Don't let darkness diminish your witness. Don't let darkness diminish your witness. What does Paul say? In uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. In fact, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open 
statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Here, here Paul begins the process of, of talking about the sort of temptation that someone who wants to be a faithful witness to Jesus will have in a dark world. In fact, he's coming out of a section here where he's talking about the glory that we have in Christ and the glory of gospel ministry in Christ. And then he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But, but there is, brothers and sisters, there is a temptation to lose heart. Now, anyone who's a Christian has gone through some season of discouragement so some season where you feel like you have lost heart and you just feel like you know what it, it, it the, this isn't working <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it I, I just some of you may have even had moments where you thought you know what it's just not worth being a Christian for those of you who have tried to lead ministry of, of any level or participate in ministry of any level, you've, you've all had moments where you've thought, I, I just don't know if this is worth it. I, I don't know if I can press on in what God, what it seems like God has called me to do. And, and I think there's sort of a storm front in, in the hearts and lives of every Christian where the front of the glory of the gospel that Paul's talking about just the amazing weight of glory that every Christian knows in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ meets together in your life with the darkness and the discouragement of the world and of sin. And the fault line so often for that is the very life and the very heart of a Christian. And so when I think what happens is when you have the, the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ meeting the darkness and discouragement of the world, it is such a pronounced difference that much like the weather, sometimes there, there becomes a storm front that, that occurs in our own hearts and our lives, and, and it's a storm of temptation in our soul. And here I think Paul starts to talk about the temptation. One is to lose heart, but how, how do we fight? Sometimes we want to manufacture ways manufacture ways to, to reconcile that difference. And that's what Paul begins to talk about here. We do not lose heart, but, in other words, to stay encouraged and to, to keep this glorious ministry from, from the mercy of God that we've received, we have what? We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. You see, part of what Paul is dealing with here, I believe, at Corinth is a group of people who are saying that the gospel ought to be all glory all the time. I think these super apostles are, are challenging Paul on his suffering. I, I think they're challenging Paul on the fact that he has been the recipient on the, on the losing end of darkness in the world from time to time. And I think they're saying that means he's not an apostle. And so what, part of what Paul is saying is we do not lose heart. But, unlike some others, we have renounced. Yes, the gospel is glorious, but we also recognize there are difficulties in the world. And in the process, we have renounced, we've done away with, we have chosen actively not to participate in disgraceful, underhanded ways. Now, I'm just going to tell you guys something. I'm going to go ahead and confess to you right now that uh, a lot of times people meet me, the cards are stacked against me. Because first of all, my family is in the car business. 
and there's nothing I can do. I was born into a family of salesmen, and uh, I've just got a little bit on me. A little bit of that's on me, you know? I just can't help it. And then people think, I, I can just, they see me walking across the room, and they think, that guy, that guy's a salesman. And then it gets worse. One time I'd stopped at Priester's Pecans, and I walked up, and I was checking out at Priester's Pecans, and the lady said, what are you, some kind of politician? <laughs> I said, no, ma'am, it gets worse. <laughs> I'm the son of a son of a car dealer and a Baptist preacher. <laughs> well, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, there are these different things out there in the world that sometimes people just kind of get icky feeling about. And one of those things, unfortunately, is the, is the role and the profession of being a pastor. And it's precisely because of pastors who have used disgraceful, underhanded ways, not to further the gospel, but to further their own name and their own kingdom and their own ministry. But Paul says the faithful minister of the gospel, himself included, would renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. And he, he then begins to give clarity on what those ways might be. He, he, he clarifies this. He elucidates what, what these disgraceful, underhanded ways would be. He says, we refuse to practice cunning. We're not going to be wily. We're not going to try to trick people. Or to tamper with God's Word. To tamper with God's Word. You know, there's a natural level of authority and there's a natural level of trust that you gain by being a pastor. So in as much as there is a sense in which the world looks down on pastors and sometimes in rightful reasons, in rightful ways, nonetheless, with your own congregation and with a lot of folks, there, there, there's a level of respect that you get naturally. And what Paul's saying is it's easy to take advantage it's easy to take advantage of the goodwill of others. And I see people doing this all the time to good, well-meaning Christians. I see bad pastors and false teachers trying to take advantage of the goodwill of good Christians who love the Lord and who want to do what the Bible commands and believe all things and hope all things and, and trust all things and live a life of love and trust toward others. The, the people who want to be as innocent as doves and, and who want to be careful not to become uh, so shrewd that they become bitter. And, and so they're generally trustworthy. And, and it's easy then for a jack-leg preacher to take advantage of that through cunning, and by standing in a place of authority, in a place of trust, and saying, thus says the Lord, when really it's, thus saith the goofball. People tamper with God's Word. They're cunning. Some examples of that, I think, that we can fall, we can be tempted to give into, would be like, for example, and this is the, the most popular heresy in the world today, and it's the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The, the idea that the living God is nothing more than a rabbit's foot that we carry around to try to, to grant us good luck. There's this idea 
That if we do what's right, God blesses us in return. That, that if we obey God, then blessings come to us in return. I, I, hate, I hate to tell Chance the Rapper, but it's not true. When the praises go up, the blessings don't automatically come down. That's, that's not always how it works. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see people who, who are not healthy, are not wealthy, and are not prosperous, but who are beloved of God and recipients of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. I think you see folks in their rhetoric and the way they talk about others and talk to others. I think they employ worldly methods. They're good and godly and faithful Christians who actively sin against others by employing the sort of tactics and the sort of rhetoric that the world finds okay, but that is subpar in the Christian life. Slander and mocking ways that we talk about others and, and we think, well, we see it on the news or we see people talk to each other about it. You can't even watch a sports talk show without people yelling at each other anymore and and you know, we, we've got to get to a place, though, brothers and sisters, where our rhetoric is filled with grace. Tampering with God's Word. You see it in the hyper-politicization of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see pastors and preachers who are just so worried and, and so concerned with cozying up to the powers of this world that the Bible say are fading away, that they... They punt the glory of God to the, to the side of the road. They tamper with God's Word in order. They, they're cunning in, in order to, to cozy up to power in Washington, D.C. when we really ought to be worried about the glory of God that's present in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does Paul say? Paul says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is gospel ministry, and this must be what we do in the midst of darkness. We cannot let the darkness diminish our witness because the temptation is, as the darkness creeps in around us and we try to share the gospel, and the gospel seems to get rejected, we, we try to find any way to sort of make it palatable to those around us. And so we say, no, 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 no. The reason you don't like Jesus is not because, because you've been blinded by the devil. The reason you don't like Jesus is because you don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel is really, if you're obedient to God, you'll get more money. Don't you like money? Shouldn't you like Jesus? Or if you like Jesus, you know, your party will be in political power. Don't you think you should make Jesus part of your platform? No, what the Bible says we ought to do and we must do is commit to the simple, straightforward preaching of the Word of God. Every Sunday, every week, we show people what God says in His Word and we let God honor His own Word. Can't let the darkness drive us to diminish our witness. We must commit to the simple, straightforward preaching of the Word of God. But we must, second of all, see the danger of devilish blindness. We must see the danger of devilish blindness. Verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, 
it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, what Paul is doing is he's He's drawing a parallel back into chapter 3 when he talks about the veil that lies over the hearts uh, of those who hear the readings of Moses, of God's people who are veiled to the gospel. And Paul's bringing this idea of the veil back up. And and he's saying that the gospel is veiled to some, but it's only veiled to those who are perishing. And he goes on in verse 4 to say, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What a haunting verse. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. What a sad reality that there are those who so desperately need Jesus, and yet they have been blinded. And here, Paul says plainly, blinded, by the God of this world. Very clearly a reference to Satan, to the devil, who temporarily has authority in this world because of sin. Even though God has the final say, He's allowed to have authority because of, because of the authority that God invested originally in Adam, and that Adam then forfeited over to the snake. You have the devil, is the Jesus calls the ruler of this world. Here Paul calls him the God of this world. Paul references the devil and the demons as powers and principalities in this world. And so there's a, a level of rule which the devil has. And Paul says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ who is the image of God. That is, those who were created in the image of God like their father Adam have been blinded by the God of this world, but Jesus is the image of God and that blindness carries over to where we cannot see God's glory even in the face of Jesus Christ. Believers, it's easy for us to be discouraged by this reality. It's easy for us to see this danger of devilish blindness and just simply be downtrodden, to to lose heart and say, what hope is there? But remember two things. You too, once, believer, were blinded. I myself was once blinded by the God of this world. But God is greater than the God of this world. Satan, Satan's authority is limited. It's limited in its scope. It's limited in its ability. It's limited in its time. You too once were blinded believers, so don't lose hope. Because you know that even though some are blinded, even now we serve a God who is able to restore sight to the blind. We, we, we serve a God who's able to renew minds, even though they're blinded by the God of this world. But also remember this, that Satan is ultimately defeated, so don't lose hope. Ultimately, Satan is defeated. Ultimately, he may rage in war now, but ultimately, Jesus Christ is the ruler, the winner, the victor. I think Martin Luther said it best. Someone who was, had a reason to be discouraged. What did he say in this great hymn? You know, we sang this hymn yesterday at a funeral. And uh, you don't sing this hymn at a lot of funerals, but it's a fitting funeral hymn. Let me, let me just read this one, one verse of A Mighty Fortress is Our God by Martin Luther to you. And though this world with devils filled, 
that means the devil himself and demons. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. Satan is a defeated enemy. And we serve a God who is utterly powerful, who is able to simply speak and bring the world into existence, and who will speak one day. One little word filled with God's power is enough to undo all the warring and all the blinding and all the troubles that the devil could create. Though he seems so grim, though he seems so great in this moment, we must recognize that his days are numbered. Brothers and sisters, we cannot, we cannot be discouraged by the work of the devil. We must continue to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must continue to preach in straightforward ways. As Luther said, one little word shall fail him. And that is precisely why we are committed to the simple, open preaching of the truth of God every Sunday. Because not only every Sunday as we preach the Word of God, as the Gospel is proclaimed, not only does it make it to the back pew most of the time, not only does it make it to the choir, not only does it make it around on TV and later on the internet, and now even on the internet, not only does it make it to our own hearts, not only are we preaching the Gospel for the benefit of lost people around. Not only are we publicly, openly preaching the gospel every Sunday so that people can come and hear the gospel, not only is it for the edification of the saints, but don't think for a moment that the scariest thing in the cosmos to the devil is not the gathered saints of God every week declaring through song, preaching the gospel to one another through song. And do not think for a moment that every Sunday when Jesus Christ is proclaimed on territory that once belonged to Him, to to minds and hearts which He once had blinded, don't think for a moment that it's not a reminder to the devil every Sunday that this world is no longer His. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And right here at Fifth and Walnut in downtown Gadsden, there is an outpost of that kingdom over which you have no authority. We do not fear the work of the devil. But we must recognize the danger of devilish blindness and preach the gospel with clarity every Sunday. Finally, finally, we must see gospel light in the face of Jesus. We must see gospel light. We must bask in gospel light in the face of of Jesus. What does he say? Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves, we're involved, but we're servants. Your servants. 
What Jesus is saying. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We don't lose heart. We, we, we forsake underhanded ways. We are not crafty and cunning. We're not discouraged by the devil. We don't fear Satan. And because of these things, we're not here to proclaim ourselves. We're not here to talk about how great we are, but we are here to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. We're here to talk about Jesus. And our role, and my role, as your pastor, and our role is the the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in preaching and teaching is to be the servants of Jesus for the sake of others. Once you become a Christian, you are the servant of Christ. And so why should we focus on Jesus? Because God is the one who can shine light in the darkness. There's darkness in the world, isn't there? There's difficulty in the world, and we feel it sometimes coming in on us. We feel like a little kid in a long, dark, creaky hallway at night. Sometimes we feel like Dad's not even there. We're spooked. It's difficult. Paul tells us why we should focus on Jesus, though. The reason we should focus on Jesus is because it's God who can shine light in the darkness. It's God who can make the sun rise again. It's God who can turn the lights on in a dark place. Paul points us backward to Genesis when he says that God is the one who said, let light shine in the darkness. He's, he's referring back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when God said, let there be light. He's, he's giving us a picture of the doctrine of creation when, when God made all things and, and He said that they were good, including the light that God made in the world. And, and that same God who was able to make light shine out of darkness with a simple word can make that light shine in our hearts. You see what Paul says? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts. You know, we need to think about that. Some of you won't like this. It's hard, hard for me to think about my own life, my own heart. But the world is not the only place that's dark. In fact, there's a reason why. There's a reason why the world is dark. The world is dark because our hearts are dark. There's a little novella written by a guy named Joseph Conrad, called Heart of Darkness. And in it, he explores just the depths of our wickedness. Some of y'all may know it better in the movie form, Apocalypse Now. This guy goes into the heart of Africa and, and goes in this devolution morally. And it explores how the human heart is what's darkest of all. The civilized man could go into a place what, that was then deemed dark and become the darkest of all. If we're gut level honest about our own hearts, 
we recognize the reason the world is dark is because the people that God put in the world to be stewards of the world, to be His representatives in the world, they were created in His image and in His likeness. The reason the world is dark is because our hearts are dark, because we need light as well. And the God who said, let there be light, and the light shone in the darkness is also able to shine in our hearts as well. You see, brothers and sisters, the God who with one word was able to make the creation come into being is also the God of new creation. And He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, a light who would shine as the dark in the darkness, as we learn in the Gospel of John. The light of men came into the world, and God is not only the God of creation, but now through Christ, He is the God of new creation. And so we recognize we serve a God who can make a dark world light again precisely because he can make dark hearts whole again he shines the light in our hearts we are being pointed to jesus and we are relentlessly committed to being christ-centered and we are relentlessly committed to preaching the gospel with truth and clarity because unlike moses the glory of god in the face of jesus christ will never ever ever fade Jesus didn't come into the world to bring us the law written in tablets of stone. Jesus came into the world so that he would die the death that we deserved as a sinner and be raised up to glorious life and thereby write the law on our hearts, to take our hearts of stone and, and turn them into hearts of flesh. He has written God's law on our darkened hearts. We can look to Jesus and we can focus on Jesus and we can trust Jesus because the light of God's glory never fades in the face of Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. This morning, our whole family rode together to church. We don't do that a lot, but this morning it just happened to work out and... Um, I was running a little later than normal. They were running a little earlier than normal, and so it was just worth riding together today. As we pulled up to the church, I went around the back to grab my briefcase, and I looked up. The kids had already started running into church, all three of them. And they're not supposed to run in parking lots, but just drive slow as you come through, <laughs> if y'all don't mind. It's daytime. The lights are on. People are in the building. It's the Lord's day. We're about to open our Bibles and open our hearts. Sing to one another. And I look up and my sweet children are running into the church. No worry. No fear. No trepidation. No anxiety. Just joy and peace. Excitement. Love in their hearts, ready to go to church. And that's the difference that light can make when it shines in a dark place. It transforms our hearts. It transforms our lives. This morning, where is your gaze fixed? Are you in a dark place? Do you feel the darkness on the outside and the darkness within? 
I encourage you this morning, turn from the darkness and look at the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bright, shining, smiling, with arms open wide, waiting for you. Look to the face of Jesus where the glory of God will never fade. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus, today I pray that you would turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ. I believe He will save you. And second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I just need some time at the altar. This altar is open for you, for you to pray. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, our prayer today is that you would move in our hearts and minds so that we might be changed by the power of your word. And God, would you help us to look to Jesus and see there what it is we're looking for. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.